let's do this. Let's speak of these wolves. Um, I guess I'm hosting, so I should introduce the name of this podcast. Um, yeah, that would be good. You're good okay. to go. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll do it. Um, 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 okay. Welcome to Turtle Recall. I can't do it. <laughs> Mike shot. I don't know how to do it. I'm going to, though. Believe in you. Welcome to Total Recall, our podcast where we reread the Tamara Pierce books and yell about them, and also laugh about them, and love them. Um, <laughs> I am today's host. My name is Kelly. Uh, my pronoun is she, her, and I think maybe a fun thing to do, you guys can tell me you don't want to do this if you don't want to, would be to say your favorite animal name from this book, because I'm really into some of the animal names in Ooh. this book. You had given us some time. I That's know, a hard sorry. decision. Okay, I mean, I have one. I can go. Okay, my favorite. Wait, do you have one? I Kelly, have did one. you say one? My favorite is Quick Munch. That's my favorite animal name. Ah. Okay, I did kind of want to say Quick Munch, but I have a backup one also. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so my name is Abby. My pronouns are she, her, and my second favorite animal name in this book is uh, the horse Rebel. Just. Big fan of the fastest Rebel. horse in the village, Rebel. Yes. Uh, my name's Aurora. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, and my favorite animal name in this book is Longwind because I think it's Longwind because he's in fact long-winded. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. That's, I hope that's true. That's gotta be it, right? <laughs> anyway, it could also be related to endurance, but that long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my name is Shelby, my pronouns are she, her, and I think my favorite, uh, names from this book are, in fact, uh, the, the pups who do not have names, (laughs) because, and I think this is what it was for, is because they're still too silly. (laughs) Right, two of the five pups have names, and then the other three don't because they're too silly for names. (laughs) That's very good. I love it. (laughs) Oh, wait, no, okay, I need to retroactively change mine, because also, the hunter's dog that he named Prettyfoot, (laughs) and and Dane laughs at his name, and he's like, it's a very good name, the man gave me that name. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best! That was beautiful. Oh my gosh. I also have, before we jump into the sections proper, I made two, oh, Shelby, sorry, did you want to say something? No, I just said another one, there's two No, there's too many, we gotta move on. I yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Um, I made two really amazing discoveries about this book. Uh, right when I was starting to read it, by reading like the beginning material, and I guess I'll share one in this podcast if that's okay. But um um um, so I read Tamora Pierce's bio, and realized that briefly I read it on her website. She lived briefly in the same town that I grew up in. Like, the same suburb, wow. and my mind is wow. blown. I, like, wow. I have breathed the same air in the same place as Tamora Pierce. And then she also lived in, like, the town adjacent to mine, which is where, much later, I got my book signed by her. So, like, it all makes sense why she was, like, then at that independent bookstore that I went to and met her. So, anyway, that's my amazing Tamora Pierce trivia. I am... I feel nice. blessed. <laughs> I've walked 
walked in her footsteps. Maybe like go on to the same yummy yogurt or something. Um, okay. So let's start this. So let's do our first adventure section where we talk about our background with this book. Abby, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, I haven't been on a Dane episode yet, so I can say my background with Dane, which is that Dane was definitely my favorite series the first time I read these books, and remained my favorite series for a long time. As a like older teen, I got more into some of the other series, and I kind of forgot how amazing Dane is, but it's really good, you guys. <laughs> so I guess my background with this book specifically is... I, I didn't actually own all the Dane books as a kid. I think I didn't own the fourth one, but I did. I definitely did own this one, and I definitely did own the third one, so I reread both of those a lot. Mm. Um, and I really, in my head, remembered this as, like, a mystery book, which it <laughs> isn't really. <laughs> I mean, it kind of has the format of, like, you know, like, the the writer group has, like, been killed, and the wolves are asking for help, so they, like, go to this place, and they need to figure out what's going on, except that there's, like, zero twists. <laughs> like, they know what's going on the whole time. <laughs> so I guess, like, as a little kid, that, like, felt like a mystery to me, but it is not a mystery. Um, Shelby, do you want to go next? Sure. So I actually have relatively little memory of this book growing up, which is shocking for anyone who listened to the last episode <laughs> and remembers just how obsessed with both this series and Wolves I was as a child. Um, I mean, obviously, I do remember that I loved it. I'm pretty sure if it, it was, if not my favorite Dane book, then at least, like, one of my two favorites. I think I was also pretty fond of Emperor Mage mm-hmm. for obvious cool reasons. Emperor Mage is my favorite. We're got, so I'm so good. excited for Emperor Mage, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh it's my off gosh, topic. Yeah. Um, but obviously I loved all of the wolves. And yeah, I think I also did like what Abby just said, that as a kid, well, I'm not sure I remember it as a mystery, I do think I remember it as, like, a book with a really good plot. <laughs> so, like, to me it was like, wow, yeah, like, there's the a discreet plot, it, like, <laughs> goes places, like, they solve the thing, and they do the thing, and everything's better. Like, I think that it was a very satisfying book as a kid, which was hilarious when I went to go put this on my Goodreads and found many people on Goodreads bad-mouthing the plot of this book specifically. Oh no! Oh, strangers on the internet. Aw, no good. What's my background? So, I read this book probably second of the court, like, this quartet, second of the quartet, so like, after Protector of the Small, so I knew all the characters already. Mm. And with this book, I think... I liked it okay, but Kelly, please forgive me, but I liked this one probably less than the others. I think I got bored because they spent a lot of time sitting in the woods and I wasn't a very discerning 12-year-old. Me too, me too. Why didn't you ask Kelly for her forgiveness? (laughs) Sorry, Shelby, Shelby, will you forgive me as well? (laughs) Do you remember who we are? That's better. Can you tell us apart, Aurora? Only sometimes. There are a lot of Kelly Shelby similarities (laughs) in the context of this podcast. (laughs) In any case, so when I first read it, I didn't like it as much, but I read it multiple times, like, through my adolescence, as I did all of these books, and each time I read it, I, like, liked it more, which I suppose is a good sign. Mm -hmm. 
I actually, even though you just apologized to me, I think I had a similar experience. I think I remember this being of the Dane books, which were my mostest favoritest. I think this was actually my least favorite one for like much of the same reason when I was younger. And even now, like when I read books that have like any like sort of like tactical intrigue and stuff like that, like that just is really like kind of boring for me my brain just kind of skims over it so like most of this book I was like blah 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 plotting against the state blah 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 ooh animal transformation (laughs) okay but legitimately there is so little like I remember this book being like ooh it's a political thriller you know it's like really like the plot is intense and complex it's just not I know that's like when I realized when I read this time I was like why was this so hard for like my younger self to like grasp like so hard that I like skimmed over it like it was like one thing but it was too much for me. So, yeah. And I read it this time and I was like, I actually liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to based on my memories. Like, maybe because I hadn't reread it quite Same. as much as the other ones, but I definitely forgot a lot of stuff. Like, I forgot about Taka and I love it. I forgot Taka was in this too. I love Taka so much. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I knew Taka showed up at some point, but I did not remember it was this, that it was this book. Amazing. Oh, no, That's all so I can good. say. It was amazing. I don't know, like, where the appropriate place to talk about Taka is, but I'm obsessed. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so maybe uh, let's move on to the first test, and we will, somebody will attempt to give a brief plot summary of this book, which... It's super complex plot. (laughs) (laughs) It's cerebral, really. (laughs) No, I mean, I don't want to mock the plot of this book too much because I really enjoyed it as a kid, and it's a kid's book, and that's great. And frankly, I really enjoyed it this week (laughs) as well. And like like you said, I feel like it is like a little bit like less sort of episodic than like the last day in book. Like it has sort of one thing that kind of happens, and so that's nice at least. (laughs) Yeah, it was shockingly structured for a Tanner Pierce book. It's true. Like there was an arc. Right. I mean, maybe that's what we're thinking of is just that like all the like all the Alana books and the Kel books mostly and the first Dane book are like just here's the what's up in this person's life. They're going to a new place. They're getting a position. They're doing some training. End of book. And then this one does actually have a plot. It's true. So maybe that's, that's what we're catching on to here. Um, I do have a quick summary that I wrote down, but it's missing a lot of stuff, as my summaries usually do. (laughs) Go for it. So, my summary. Dane goes to help her wolf friends, ultimately saving a valley from destruction and preventing a rebellion against the crown, making good friends along the way, including animals, humans, and immortals. That's all I got. I love it. That is what happens. It is what happens. I mean, right, basically, basically what happens is, like, Numer and Dane go to help out the Dane's former wolf pack who needs help. They go, like, talk to the humans. The humans seem really evil. It turns <laughs> out that they are, in fact, very evil. <laughs> um, the, like, lords and mages specifically. Some of the other humans are fine. Um, but, right, then, like, Numer leaves to get help. Dane gets trapped in the valley because they put, like, a magical barrier up. She makes a lot of friends with immortals and animals and also some humans. They do some fighting book is over. <laughs> that, that, that's about it. They do some like coalition building excuse they do. and then <laughs> they do true. some fighting. Yeah, I mean, we don't actually see most of the fighting. We see yeah. They have a plan to like draw the people out and it involves the, the mortals, the ogres, and also like the 
village people a little bit, and they let a ten-year-old, like, sneak into a fort and light fires. Yeah, right? I was a little, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, um, when we say they, I mean, I guess, hypothetically, like, Taka could have... Oh, actually, Numair was involved in... Numair, I don't know about Numair, but there was also another adult there. Tate, the hunter, oh, right. was there. Yeah, they were like, let's just let this ten-year-old do it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Um, questionable. Also, oh. Dean learns how to turn into animals. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That yeah. is a pretty actually one of the larger plot uh, points. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just listening to the previous episode, and I'm kind of sad that Amy's not on this episode because one of her fan theories was just Dane turns into a literal wolf. I know she. <laughs> you know she keeps saying that, and I I'm my my. It, but if they're an animorph, like, excuse is soon going to be running out because I'm not going to be able to do that to deflect things any longer after this book is we over. We definitely need to come up with a few more, like, stock lines to give Amy because her fan theories are just too good. I need help. Um, I mean, we, we can we can just shift, shift the animorph theme and just be like, what if they're all aliens? Oh, okay, okay. From now on, perfect. What if they're aliens? That's good. That works broadly, I think. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, I have a quick side note before we're done summarizing things. I mean, we're done summarizing things, but it's about summaries. Okay. Before okay. we <laughs> So, so I'm like historically bad at like doing summaries that are more than like half a sentence. So I went to Wikipedia to just like get an idea of what a good summary of this book might look like. And y'all have to look at this summary because it's terrible. Oh my god. Some of the things are just, like, blatantly wrong. I mean, don't look it up right now, but for your future. <laughs> Wait, I want to know so it's... much. But we are going to look it up right now, because we need to. <laughs> no, they just have some facts in there, unless it's, like, changed recently, towards the end, that are, yeah, incorrect, and they leave out all of the important bits, and, yeah, it's a bad summary. I don't know who wrote it. Well, the summary in the mm-hmm. front matter from my copy of this book says, With the help of her animal friends, Dane fights to save the kingdom of Turtle from ambitious mortals and dangerous immortals, which is basically like every book in this series. I'm not really <laughs> that's sure true. That's, that's really just a summary of the Immortals series. Yeah, like thank you so much. Well, shall we move on to the Renland Dominion Jewels plot and world building? Yeah. Section? Yes. World building. Oh my gosh, I'm really excited for this because I feel like this book in particular, like brings up, like, a whole bunch of, like, structural things about, like, the relationships between, like, mortals and immortals and, like, Dane's magic and stuff like that, so I'm super stoked. Yeah, there's a lot of good, like, magic world building in this. Mm -hmm. Shelby, you look excited. Do you want to start? Uh, well, I can go straight off of your thing for just a little (laughs) bit. To make a bridge to last week's episode when we were talking about what exactly a person is in this world, and we have, like, some classification systems we got last, last book where it was, like, Oh, like, if they're capable of education, like a dragon, then they're people. And if they aren't, then they're not, and they're more like animals. But not people with a capital P, Uh, because that means animals. Yeah, sorry. But in this book, we got an entirely separate way of distinguishing uh, animals and what what do I call them if I can't call them people? Yeah, human, human, two leggers. I mean, some of them That's don't also have two legs. <laughs> anyway, the the other distinction we have between lowercase p people and animals, capital P people, uh, was whether or not Dane can mind speak to them. Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, partially because, okay, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I believe that there are some partially humanoid immortals who don't speak human languages, I think. So, like, that means that there are some immortals that Dane can't communicate with at all, which seems really odd. Can she mind speak with, um, with, uh, Stormwings, though? Or did she say no. that she cannot? I think she can't. She can't human. speak. No. Okay. On the other hand, I was kind of assuming part of that was, like, if they can speak human languages, she can't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's still, I think, just kind of a fuzzy boundary. We don't yeah. have it totally sorted out yet. I mean, we'd really just need to sit her down in front of everyone. <laughs> yeah. Let's her not speak. I mean, also, part of this, I think, that makes it a little bit tricky, it, that I'm sure we will talk about more later, is that Dane is a Stormwing racist. <laughs> so yeah. she's, like, you know, inclined oh to not see them as people and instead see them as monsters. But that's not a real distinction. That's just a Dane mm-hmm. opinion. <laughs> One thing that I found really interesting also about that, like, particular distinction, which Tamar Pierce, like, made, like, super clearly. She was like, these are the immortals that Dane can talk to, and here's why. Is that then she sort of, like, proceeds not to talk to those immortals. Like, she's like, I can mind speak with humanoid immortals. When she's, like, facing down, like, her, like, ultimate enemy in this book, which is the Cold Fang, she doesn't, like, mind speak with the Cold Fang and be like, hey, stop. That's a great point. And she, like, yeah. also, like, the Herocks, like, in this book, she treats them specifically, like, monsters and super repulsive. And she does, like, speak with them while she's a bat, but she doesn't speak with them as a person. Yeah, well, she doesn't actually speak with them as the bat. The bat that she's with just talks to them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which I think is also, I've related to a thing that you guys talked to, talked about last week, which is, like, can animals just talk straight to each other? without Dane around, and I think the answer in this book is yes. Yeah, the answer sure. in this book is definitely yes, and I think we'll get to that more in Very Fast Bio. <laughs> oh my god, I have so much Very Fast Bio. I bet I have the same Very Fast Bio. <laughs> yeah, I think there's gonna be quite a bit of that. Yeah, I just thought that was super interesting, because Tamar Pierce is, like, very clear about, like, this is who Dane can talk to, and then, like, the end confrontation, like, she totally, like, ignores that. Like, why didn't Dane, like, talk to the Cold Fang? Or, like, she's, like, She's, like, suggested that Dane can, like, use her, like, powers of speech to sort of, like, force animals mm-hmm. to do things, too. So, theoretically, potentially, she could force the cold fang to, like, not kill her. But she doesn't do that at all or hear its voice I or anything. I think it might yeah, be slightly really different weird. with a more... So, she, like, with, like, capital P people, she can, like, force them to do things. But I think it's different with immortals, right? Like, she can talk to the animal ones but can't, like, make them do stuff. Or... I mean, we don't know, but I think that would be a very plausible explanation mm-hmm. given that for somewhat spoilery reasons we do know that her magic sometimes interfaces differently yeah. with immortals yeah but right we don't i don't think we have any examples at this point of her even trying to compel yeah. immortals to do things so right it's really weird that she didn't even try to talk to the cold thing yeah yeah yeah, and especially like for reasons that maybe it makes more sense to bring up in social justice corner but like she's still like while she's like sort of struggling with this idea that like stormwings are evil or like are ogres evil she's not struggling mm-hmm. with the idea of are these like animal like immortals evil or not she's like this one trying to kill me i must kill it versus like all these like yeah. moral struggles well, she's having with the human she ones. also seems to treat them to some degree how she does treat animals mm-hmm. the animals are neither moral nor immoral they are simply animals following their nature and 
I will kill them if I must to follow my own nature. I'm not sure she totally does because she has. I mean, okay, so I did want to mention at some point that Dane hates chickens, I and I that. don't know why that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really it's weird like detail. <laughs> that's very rude of her, I think. <laughs> Um, Why, but right, so like, we know that there are just some regular animals that she hates, even though that's really inexplicable to me. I mean, she thinks chickens are stupid, right? Is that she the, I mean, she just... spoiler. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we know that there's some animals that she just doesn't like, but I think with the, the Hurrocks and the cold things, she's not just seeing them as like, oh, they're just animals following their nature. She, she is seeing them as monsters that we should destroy. Yeah, yeah I know, I think you're right. Yeah, and I just, I guess I thought that was interesting specifically because, like, the issue of are these more human-like immortals monsters or not has made such a huge issue in this book, and she doesn't seem to confront that at all with animal-like monsters, which I would think she would have more sympathy for. More of a connection to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although, I think this does evolve over the course of the series, so I think we'll have to Right, this is definitely an ongoing thing. But, But it is interesting that to start with, the sympathy seems to be more focused on the more human-like immortals in this very animal-focused series. Yeah, which kind of makes sense for the reader, but doesn't make as much sense for Dane, because yeah. she's always had an easier time relating to animals than humans. Mm-hmm. Cold things are pretty cool, though. Just in terms of, like, a general concept. I have in my notes here, Aurora, cold things are super cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, no. I thought they were a very cool concept, but I thought that they were kind of lazy as a name. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, yes. you know, I feel like um, what do they have? You know, other monsters, like Stormwings and Spiderins and Hurrocks, those are all names that I'm like, yeah, that's a fantasy <laughs> monster name. And then Coldfang is just like, they're cold and they have fangs. <laughs> it sounds like something someone unimaginative would name their pet immortal. <laughs> yeah. But, but like a warrior cat name. I mean, the whole thing about how. If they're like the Stormwings and how immortals in general are supposed to be kind of like embodiments of moral lessons to humans, then the cold things make a lot of sense and are kind of neat. They're like karma for people who steal things. Except, you know, yeah. they can't distinguish between like Robin Hoods and people who steal <laughs> things that, yeah. in bad ways. Yeah, I found them really cool as like a very plausible immortal myth. Like a, a very plausible mythical creature mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to have any basis in a real mythical creature. Obviously, a lot of these immortals don't. But, like, the cold thing was the one where I was, like, the most, you know, I could totally imagine that this is just from a myth, um, you know, a mythology that I haven't encountered yet. Mm -hmm. And I did Google it just to make sure it wasn't. I also was kind of interested um, by, I guess, a thing that ties the cold things to the Stormwings a little bit. Which is that, um, you know, the cold things whole thing of, like, guarding things and going after thieves makes a lot of sense, like, in the context of them being, like, used by humans. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also true. Like, I don't know if we know exactly where Stormwings came from. Like, people talk about them a lot, like, as if they're created. Like, Mm. Dane mentions that their, their metal feathers have been, like, wrought to look like real feathers. And, like, we know that they reproduce, but I kind of wonder if at some point they were, like, created by either humans or uh, gods as, like, a scourge on humans. And, like, if we ever learn about that? We do. Yeah. Okay, cool. I didn't remember. <laughs> we can save <laughs> it as a surprise for you. Yeah, I, I figured that um, that Stormwings were, like, created at some point 
But I was wondering if that was also true of cold things. And, like, if so, how many immortals that's true of? Yeah, I mean, that seems very plausible. I don't remember the degree to which we get that answer, but... But I do, like, from a meta level, just love this kind of immortals mythology of, like, you know, in our world, we invent these myths that convey values, that convey, you know, social rules that we want our children and our society to have internalized. But in this fantasy world, that has been made real. Mm. <laughs> like, somebody went, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but yeah, mm-hmm. as you noted, they're like there is some level of creation here. Somebody went and said, we need these people to learn not to steal, not to do war. Like, so we're gonna create this embodied lesson. That's such a cool world-building concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but right, it's something that I'm so interested in because, like, it's so, it's so clearly, I mean, not 100% clearly, but it seems pretty true of those ones that they are, like, this, you know, embodied fable. Like, they, they are this, like, lesson for humanity. But then, like, things like dragons and basilisks and ogres seem much more like they're just mm-hmm. a people that happens to exist and be immortal. So, like, where did they come from? Yeah. Speaking of basilisks, I have a question. So, mm-hmm. basilisks are very life. They're, like, they're, they're thin creatures. But also, they are the strongest creatures ever, in the sense that, like, Taka could just, like, carry Mara all over the place on his back? And he's fighting rocks. Yeah. So, and he's, he's eating rocks with his face. <laughs> He can also run faster than a horse. Yeah, so, my friends, what are basilisks' bones made of <laughs> such that they can do these wild things? That are rocks. I don't know. Magic. Magic bones. Yeah. Got it. Um, they are Swords. made of magic. Also, I thought it was cool that they uh, brought up the distinction that immortals have, like, special silver claws, and that's how you know they're immortal. Oh, yeah, I like that, too. <laughs> Spiffing. Yeah. I also do just love the, like, also, once again, the world building and the immortals, the basilisks, like, obviously have a tie to our own basilisks, mm-hmm. and they can, you know, turn things to stone. But, like, it's very practical. In some ways, they are, like, the opposite of the other immortals, <laughs> who are, like, these new lessons that we don't have in our midst. And rather, for them, like... Rather than them, like, turning people to stone just for kicks? Or whatever. Ancient like, racism, like, if you're in Harry uh, Potter. Yeah, well, that. But also, I kind of feel like basilisks in, like, real-world mythology can't really control it. It's just, like, if you look in their eyes, right. you're turned to stone. But in this one, it's, like, very deliberately they do it. Because they eat, and they eat rocks. <laughs> and there weren't enough rocks around. <laughs> Not enough. You know, them being a rare resource. <laughs> I did really appreciate that Takat just, like, for dessert, eats the most precious <laughs> gems that exist in this world. Just, like, eats piles of them. I love it. Just, like, casually munching on, like, our equivalent of, like, rubies and diamonds. I mean, or our equivalent to black opals. Oh, because yeah. They're well, yeah, but they're, because they're, like, a magical resource in this, I feel like they're even, like, next level. I also feel like, I thought it was interesting, too, how sort of they use Takat as, like, another conduit to sort of, like, explain like more immortal society like how he said like oh like basilisks and dragons like we're friends like 
we hang out. Yeah, and actually that they're, like, related, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Just thinking about, like, what if there were, like, like a species of lizard people that were, like, sentient and, like, well-read and stuff that just existed, like, alongside humans, and, like, they had, like, you know, their closely related, like, evolutionary family tree, and we had ours, and they were just totally different. You like, should read War with the Newts. Read War with the Newts. It's my favorite science fiction <laughs> book right now. It's about giant talking huh. newts. <laughs> nice. <Okay>. Sounds good. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so while we're on, um, basilisks and dragons i can throw in one of just my favorite moments Mm -hmm. from this which like otherwise i don't know where it would have gone otherwise but the thing that when Taka needs to distract new mare from being distracted by like the academics of the situation he's like oh i just told him like he should do it later so he has more time. It always works with the dragons. They're crazy <laughs> academics, too. That was yeah. my, yes, that's, like, one of my absolute favorite scenes in this book. I'm so glad you brought it up. I just... Oh, it was so, so funny. Amazing. I love I'm, like, too so true. Much. I just, like, I also appreciate sort of how he sort of, like, brings in also this sort of, like, idea of, like, immortals having, like, very different, like, personalities and, like, modes of living where, like, Basilisk, or at least here, like, so he's sort of, like traveled like scholarly like peacemakers which i thought was super cool mm-hmm. i just like his aesthetic I like his life <laughs> i love him yeah as long as he brought up numer um i okay i mean there's a, some various things that i have to say about numer's magic but one of it is just that like he's really useless a lot of the time <laughs> like i mean they explicitly say that he was totally useless when he was a 100% an academic and then he came to tortal and learned more practical stuff but like he's still pretty useless a lot of the time (laughs) yeah and it's this interesting mix of like he's just useless because his magic isn't that helpful versatile whatever and the much more classic like well we have a really novice of a main character whose teacher is like the most powerful wizard in the world and so much like dumbledore just disappears all the time Right, I mean, it's very convenient that he's just, like, he's unable to participate in, like, the majority of the plot in this book. But then, like, once he does, he does, like, two things. He gets rid of the super deadly magical substance, and then he does one wizard duel, and then he's just like, oh, I'm out, I'm out of magic, I'm useless again. <laughs> but the wizard duel was Dang, very now good. now you better come up with a super powerful new technique yep. in order to, like, save the day again. <laughs> Right, so, I mean, they have this, like, in-universe sort of thing where, um, you know, I don't remember when they say this, so it might be in, like, a later book or whatever, but, like, that Numer can't even, like, light a candle because the candle just explodes (laughs) because he can only do big magic. So they have that in the world, but they also sort of have it on a narrative level where, like, he just, like, he, I guess he does one or two, you know, he, he does, like, he talks to people far away, and that's helpful, and he does the thing with the, like, Smulkro... Where he, you know, so, like, he does a couple smaller magic things, but mostly, like, you know, if they just let Numer use magic for all sizes of problems, 
all the the solution to everything would just be Numer. So like <laughs> he can only use magic on really really big things, and then he uses it up, and then he's useless for all like mid size problems. I'm all I'm also like obsessed with how flashy like both his and like Tristan's magic was. Like yes. now I'm gonna throw a rose bush at you, and now I'm gonna cover you with like flaming jelly. Like okay, that's. Fine. I thought their duel yeah was just super extra and like the most typical was super duel, fun, and I yeah. really loved it. I loved it. I also just want to like shout out specifically the word of power that exists in this universe that turns a human into a tree and then elsewhere in the world turns a tree into a human. Did you guys read that book? Did you read the book? No. I did. There's, what? Yeah, there's um, there's a book about the tree that turns into a human. Mm-hmm. What? There's a book about it? Yes, it's in, it's well, a it's a short story, right? It's a short story. Yeah, in it's a short story. the collection of short stories that um, mm-hmm. TP uh, released. I think it also has the one with what's her name? Uh, the unicorn, the Shane unicorn. Oh, I, I think remember. it's in that same set of stories. Oh, is it called Young Warriors? Is it that one? I think so. Maybe I own it, so I'll look after this. I feel like Numer like makes a cameo in that story. It's like, yo, sorry, I turned you into a person. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's delightful. <laughs> so, um, cool. Yeah, we'll probably we should like read that for a bonus episode. Or I something. think we should. Yeah, I forgot most of it except that it exists. Um, I feel like there's still, like, I know we spent a while talking about world building, but I feel like there's still quite a bit of stuff aside from even just fast linguistics and bio. Um, I know one more thing that I wanted to talk about at least really quickly is because we talked about this a little bit before about religion and about, like, who's... Okay, wait, but we have a little bit more stuff to say about Oh my god, okay, keep going, keep going. I'm always ready. (laughs) Okay, so... Specifically, I mean, Shelby and I talked about this before recording the podcast. Um, you know, Numer's magic, especially before he got to Tortal, was very, like, big and academic, and he couldn't use it for small things. So he needed or to... Or anything. Or anything practical. Yeah, he couldn't use his magic, basically, for anything. Um, he needed to travel from Karthak to Chorus under the radar. How he did that was teach himself sleight of hand and do stage <laughs> magic. <laughs> about that yes thank you oh my god yes he's so dramatic he's on the run like maybe he was just super confident that Karthik wouldn't send anybody after him but he was like the best way to hide myself on the run from like my pool of magic is to be a stage magician (laughs) amazing (laughs) Oh my god. Right, yeah, I mean, I, when I first read that, I was wondering why he didn't just, like, use his regular magic to do stage magic, but it's because he can't, because yeah, his like, magic is he useless. He would, like, blow up the cards. He would turn them into flower petals. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, that brings up another interesting world-building question, which is, he's basically like, yeah, like, the magic they teach you at the university in Karthak is useless, like, I learned everything here at the court. Um, from the king, who I guess right, spends his king. time just teaching random itinerant <laughs> magicians anyway. I mean, probably not all of them, but maybe the most powerful one who's ever shown up. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, but, like, what's up in Karthik? Like, is it just that he was, like, you know, AP track, and so he never learned any of the practical stuff? Or... Yeah, I mean, I actually have a theory about that, which is specifically that he's a, a black robe, there are very few black robes, and it's pretty clear that, like, to, to be a black robe, you have to do, like, words of power and other very academic stuff. Mm-hmm. And also, 
um, it's explicitly noted that Numaire was totally uninterested in and useless at battle magic, so there's probably, like, a whole, like, department of battle magic <laughs> that people are learning that Numaire just, like, skipped. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, because my other question was, is there, like, non-academic magic in Karthek that he just never encountered? Well, that's another great question. Yeah. Okay, so I have another magic thing also, which is that there's a quote that uh, Dane says, which is just, she's talking to, like, an animal about magic, and she says, um, we call them mages or sorcerers or wizards or witches. What we call them depends on what they do. Which, like, does it? They've never told like, us yeah, that. Like, what is the distinction? Like, this would be the perfect time to clarify for us, please. Uh, she's 14. She was probably just confused. <laughs> we do know that hedge witches is a word that we have discussed on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. even. That is definitely separated out for us. But, like, yeah, most of them, not at all. Right, like, is Numer a mage or a sorcerer or a wizard? Don't. He's not a wizard. I want to go with sorcerer. sorcerer. I feel like he's a mage. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so it's unclear. We will discover more about, I think, I'm not going to give it away now because I think we should talk about it in the next book, but we'll discover more about like the different kinds of magic people learn in Karthak when we go there. Fair enough. That's See, fair. With the absence of Amy who doesn't know anything, we all have to take turns completely forgetting what happens in this <laughs> book so the other people can sound smart. <laughs> That's a good strategy. Oh, if we're still talking about magic, yes. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Though Dane's magic is, like, different magic. It's not, like, magic magic. It's magic magic, but it's not magic. You know, it's Dane magic. Anyway. <laughs> um, so she's turning into animals now, right? And she does this multiple times, yeah. like, kind of habsies. It's like if you take mm-hmm. a polyjuice mm-hmm. potion and it goes bad. Um, yeah. yeah. But, so... Which, it must be horrifying to look at, by the way. Like, all our friends are really chill with it. I know! Yeah. Like, when they said she turns into a squirrel, but she's still a person, but she's a tiny, hairy person. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was my big question. Like, how exactly is this working? She mentions, like, in passing that it starts with her bones. And I was just horrified. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Right, like, she doesn't really experience it very much, so we don't get to, like, know what it looks or feels like but the like there are people there when she's doing it so they see it and it not, it's probably not good yeah <laughs> thank you Tamara pierce for avoiding the bar direction yeah. that this could have gone in i think we do see it in later books from the outside but uh not as horrifyingly because she's just like more capable of doing it yeah and then kind of going off that with regard to her magic so like how come her blood and, like, the consumption of her blood makes animals yes. even more, like, weirdly human. Like, is she, like, a secret, like, vampire, sort of? Like, <laughs> like I don't understand. Is her blood more, like, potent than her getting in magical contact with them? Also, why does it make them I mean, more human? I, I don't know. I feel like that's actually a pretty standard magical trope. Like, I mean, it comes in a lot more horror-y versions. That's fair. Like, for example, you know eat the heart of your enemy type mm. versions. Uh, but even, like, drink the blood of something to gain its powers, like, uh, I, I mean... Yeah, that's pretty classic. Yeah, I, I just because we have not let a single Harry Potter reference pass in this particular episode, <laughs> like, <laughs> unicorns? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Is there a new Perfect. Harry Potter fan cast? <laughs> also, ooh, also Harry Potterish. I just want to build off of this. Like, I'm totally feeling Dane's like angsty teen vibes in this book, just like Harry Potter. 
<laughs> Just wondering that. Solid. Yeah, Dean gets a good amount of angsty teen. Like, I feel like um, Alana, you know, starts as a 10-year-old, and then we, like, skip over a lot of her teen time pretty fast, and then she's an adult. But Dane is, like, prime angsty teen years, and it's great, honestly. She talks back to God! <laughs> yeah. I love it. The moment when she's just, like, Sometimes I need to be told it's not a crime. <laughs> Which I loved, yeah, honestly, really because good. he was like, the, oh, that was when the badger showed up and was like, Dane, we brought you here for a reason, blah, blah, blah. Like, I thought you would have figured it out by now. And she was like, no, I didn't. And I was like, that's relatable. <laughs> like, why would she? If yeah. anyone's wondering what the, like, anguished barking in the background is, my dog has decided also to be an angsty teen Aww. in this episode. Angsty teen. Oh, poor baby. I also liked that badger moment as like the second like i know in the first book we made a big deal out of dane's like like could she be a hero too no she couldn't i felt like that was the same thing where she was like i'm just 14 and i'm tired and i'm cold and i can't do this you'd get somebody else i'm just a normal person and i was like dane no you're not i love that because she's like so not a normal person but she is 14 (laughs) and that's like a pretty reasonable complaint (laughs) Also, at that point, the badger was like, of course you have to do it because you're the only person who can talk to, like, animals and immortals and humans. But Taka can do that, too. And at the end, they make a big point of that. They're, at the end, they're like, Taka has mistakes. He has to translate for the animals and the immortals and the humans. <laughs> like, she's not the only person. <laughs> right. No, I mean, like, um, you know, we. I'm sure we can talk about later why, like, Dane specifically works as a bridge between these three groups, but right, she's not the only one who can communicate between them. Oh, I just thought it was a really cool, um, especially, which I think we'll talk about next episode, uh, you know, this is a book with themes of, like, pollution and stuff. Mm. I thought it was a really cool, interesting mechanic to have, um, you know, this whole area where it's really hard to detect magic because it's close to the city of the gods, and so magic has just, like, permeated the land. Mm-hmm. I also thought that was funny. Also, another Harry Potter reference, that's, like, totally Hogwarts. I know the like, <laughs> book yeah. predated Hogwarts. I'm pretty sure. I actually have no idea whether that's true. I mean, so, so city of the gods is, like, Hogwarts, like, level of magic just permeating everything, except for, like, hundreds of miles in the entire, <laughs> like, northern part of Tortal, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is... As long as we're just doing, like, all the Harry Potter connections we can think of. They did mention that, um, we know that there are, uh, ungifted, non-magical people who are, like, uncomfortable with magic and, like, prejudiced against it. Um, Mm. in this book we also get that there's a magic person who is prejudiced against non-magical people. Yes! Oh my gosh, next to where, next to the section, I think this is what you're talking about, where... Tristan and Numera yeah. fighting, and Tristan was like, oh, Numera, like, you were always saying we should respect, like, non-magic people. I literally, like, wrote muggles next to that and, like, circled <laughs> it and explanation Yeah, I wrote, point. does Tortal have Death Eaters? <laughs> See, I find this fascinating because going to the City of the Gods thing, too, like, I feel like the group we know in some ways the least about in Tortal is the pure magic users, Mm. which is weird given the amount of magic that happens in these books. But, like, we never go to the City of the Gods. We don't really know what their training is like for the most part. 
And like all all of the magic users we see are generally ripped out of and often like somewhat forcefully against their right. con- like the context of people who just do magic as their thing. Like most people have deliberately chosen not to go to the city of the gods and learn magic. So Right. I mean, yeah, so we get a lot of, you know, obviously Numair is um a very magic focused character, but it's an interesting choice to have you know, this is the magic series, right, in comparison to most of the other ones, like Alana and Kel and um, Allie, and, like, those are all much less magical characters, but Dane has weird magic, so we still don't get just, like, what regular magic in this world is. We have, and more importantly, we have no idea what magic school is like. <laughs> magic there school! Magic school books! Give us I mean, our magic school! it's probably literally the... New Mare books that are coming out, but that's not towards all magic school. That's true. That's a different magic school. Oh my gosh. Not all the magic schools. Wait, that's amazing. I never even considered the possibility that those New Mare books could be the Harry Potter of the Tortoise world. <laughs> well, except in Incredible. like, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Karthak later. <laughs> I'm so ready. I'm, I was born ready for this series. Also, this is totally off topic probably, but I don't know what section this goes in, and I'm just thinking of it now. Um, if you do the math of like, Numair showed up, uh, like, eight years ago in the Dane books, and he's in, like, his mid-20s. He was, he was so young. Oh, baby. When he did the sleight of hand thing, he was a teen. Oh. <laughs> also, a total non- Numair non-sequitur also, but I realized, I think in between this and the last podcast, when Amy was watching Halloween Castle for the first time at our house, and I looked over her shoulder, I was like, wait, like, like, Numair's self and like Howell's self like in very many senses like totally overlap in my mind so mm-hmm. they are the exact same archetype which I maybe did not realize was an actual archetype <laughs> because it seems to mostly exist in middle grade fantasy <laughs> but I love it I love it it's great fancy sorcerers is the fancy type sorcerer boy <laughs> oh man fancy problematic sorcerer boy of the mirror so when I read these books as a youth, uh, I didn't particularly care for Numer. I mean, I didn't dislike him. I kind of nothinged him. He was there, but I uh, have become quite charmed by his character. Um, <laughs> it's I don't know. All of these things we're picking up on are quite delightful. In uh, which I really didn't notice as a kid, and I don't know why that is. Yeah, I don't know. I, or do I, I felt, just find different things I delightful? I very much the same way, and I don't know if it's because as a kid I just sort of mostly saw him as like, oh, he's a teacher figure, you know? He's a powerful mage, and he teaches Dane, and he's like an adult authority figure. And I don't know, yeah, some, like, that's kind of just all I really thought of him as. And then now reading it, it's like, oh, he, you know, he's incredibly like over dramatic and he really cares about how his hair looks and he's just like really goofy <laughs> and it's delightful i find that interesting because as a young reader i like absolutely adored him like i loved him so much like i loved dane too like she was the main character and she had special animal powers but he was like in all the series like my second favorite character like before lana and maybe that's just because i liked the aesthetic of like being super powerful at magic and like him sort of being like like I said, like we were talking about earlier, like a sort of a portal into like this specific like academic magic using world, which like for me was a lot more accessible than like 
the like fighting world. Like if I were to transport myself into fantasy land, I would much rather be like an academic <laughs> yeah. than a knight. I, mean, I think that's so, probably true of me I too. Him. Uh, and definitely was as a kid. I was aligned with the like magic users rather than like the sword users. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I guess partially also I think as a kid I sort of wrote Numer off as like oh, he's just, you know, he's the most powerful sorcerer in the land, so there's, like, not a lot of, like, interest in that, I guess. Like, you know, I don't know. I I didn't see the interesting parts of his character as a kid, which, I mean, I know a lot of people did, and a lot of people really like Numer, but I'm really, I'm really finding him a lot more charming this time around. A few more world-building things. Oh, one thing that we talked about before that I just wanted to follow up on, because it came up again definitely in this book, is I think... One of the previous episodes I asked about, like, oh, do, like, animals have their own gods? Mm-hmm. Do immortals have their own gods? And in, like, this book, it's very clearly answered, like, yes, animals have their own gods that they interface with. And at one point, they said, like, before, like, they launched the siege, like, the humans, like, said a prayer to their gods, and the animals said a prayer to their gods, and the immortals, maybe they said one, too. <laughs> oh, like, cool. <laughs> Although, right, I'm, I don't know, we, I would like to know what the, I mean, especially if the immortals live, literally live in the divine realms where the gods also live like how does that affect their prayer or whatever but i also had a question about animal gods which is we basically get two gods per species of animal or at least that's sort of implied i thought you know Mm -hmm. there's there's two wolves and there's you know we meet the male badger god but there's implied to also be like a female badger god and stuff you know um so like do all animal species have exactly two gods because humans have this like incredibly large pantheon yeah it's sort of interesting like you bring up like that they sort of treat like animals like as a class that is akin to humans whereas humans are like a single species actually so shouldn't animals each get like their own pantheon if they want i mean but right like i I guess we don't know that there aren't gods that apply to animals and i don't know yeah i mean it's also possible that like animal religion is just less developed like i would believe that yeah i would assume this is a matter of you know we get a little insight with the broke thing pov that animals just don't have the complex thoughts until they accidentally drink dane's blood (laughs) but uh, like they like as as they firmly established like they can't even really anticipate the future very much and if you can't anticipate the future there's much less reason to pray like a lot of like or at least there's little reason for intercessionary prayer um so like there's relatively probably less reason for them to have developed religion Mm -hmm. and so yeah two gods might be good enough (laughs) right i mean this kind of actually ties into another just little religion detail we got that i really liked which was that um, you know, Numer and Dane are running away from the castle, whatever, and they stop at a crossroads, and there's a specific shrine for the mm-hmm. god of that crossroads, <laughs> which is, like, really cool. They have, like, these tiny little gods for for every little thing, and, you know, right, uh, Dane asks Numer, like, are you leaving an offering for the god? And he's like, no, but then he bows in the direction of the shrine and is like, no offense meant. So, right, like, <laughs> the idea that humans have, you know the god the like a specific god for traveling through this one crossroads you know as opposed to animals who just have like the wolf god this may also explain another world building note we got here which is that the divine realms is too i know oh i like (laughs) that i like that too especially with like the idea that we touched on before as well about like are immortals like supposed to be in the divine realms no they're not like people put them there 
And I feel like that's really brought up with them. Like, we don't fit in here. We want to come out. Like, to cause, like, I've been so bored. I need to come out. This is way more fun. I suck <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Although it's also just hilarious to me that the divine realms, presumably the most magical mm-hmm. of realms, are, like, small and <laughs> fixed in area. Yeah. Like, the gods can't just be like, yeah, we can open another subdivision. Like, what? I mean, I do think that there's a possibility that the gods exist in this space in a slightly different way from the immortals. Um, Because we know that those are distinct, you know, they're both immortal technically, but gods are definitely a distinct thing, so they probably play more by their own rules. Um, There is one other thing about immortals that I wanted to mention really quick, which is that Dane, they... Dane and Numer know the weakness of Stormwings, and it's that they hate <laughs> yeah. onions. It was what? very good. Where did that come from? They specifically said the siege of something or other. Well, right, just like a siege that happened off screen where they learned that they but hated onions. But how did they figure this out? Were they like throwing vegetables at them? <laughs> like they ran out of things to throw, and so they were like, "How about these onions?" And thus a discovery was made. I don't know. Were you all paying attention to when, uh, what's her name, Dane, was fighting the cold fang, and then the poor little scrap, like, kind of died? Aww, and then, yeah. That was hard And then the cat god. Do you remember the cat god? Yeah, the, uh-huh. Who was described as having, like, a silky, evil-sounding voice? Yes. And I was like, now TP. TP. Are you, are you judging here, TP? I know! Yeah, just judging cats. Like, I thought she was a cat person. Why an evil-sounding voice? I mean, I'm glad that, you know... I mean, I think it's a, it was cruel, not evil, but yeah, still just questionable. Yeah. Oh, Aurora, I'm so glad you brought this up, because me too, because I was like, this book already, it's called Wolf Speakers, so obviously, like, it's for dog people, but do you really have to throw <laughs> that much shade? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were these two very nice cat characters, but it just seemed like... Uh, yeah, an offensive characterization of the cat god. Yes, thank you. <laughs> also, can all gods bring uh, those of their own uh, species back to life? Possibly. I mean, it's definitely implied to be a thing that happens rarely. Well, with some exceptions. <laughs> hey. Anyway, I thought it was interesting that it's like very like the cats bring the cats back, the wolves bring the wolves back, and like wolves definitely can't bring <laughs> cats like back to life. <laughs> yeah, I mean we don't know that, but uh it's yeah, interesting possibility. We really don't know that much about like the relations between the gods. Like, are there any human gods that are in on this plan with Dane to like get her to to make everyone live harmoniously or whatever? Or is that purely a thing that the animal gods are doing? Is it even all of the animal gods, or is it really, like, mostly just the wolf gods? Definitely the badger god. Yeah. And if the badger god's involved, it may be that certain other characters who we will not reveal for spoilers' sake may also, I mean, in fact, be involved. Maybe, <laughs> but we don't know. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, what if they're in cahoots, but we can't talk about those cahoots till a while. Okay, let's move let's move on and let's talk let's do quick linguistics if you guys have some stuff and then we'll do quick bio. Y'all, I have a theory. <laughs> I wanna know what you think, fellow linguists. Okay. And mm-hmm. Kelly, honorary linguist. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so in this book, we learn that Kitten already knows dragon. Like the yeah. dragon language. I have a lot and, of questions. And the kitten was born knowing dragon. 
Um, so I yeah. can give you a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. But so if you know it much about like language acquisition in humans, and I mean, I think some other species, so like zebra finches, you can really only get like fully structured communication that like mirrors and parallels that of the rest of your species if you get input. Mm-hmm. Like that's a pretty general thing. So I have a theory to explain why kitten already knows dragon. Uh, and that is dragon UG or dragon universal grammar. <laughs> so for those non-linguists in the audience, universal grammar is a theory shared by like uh, some theoretical linguists who think that all humans are born with some like innate language ne- mechanisms, whatever, whatever, and that we all learn languages and it's because of that and that animals don't do this. So I won't tell you my opinions about that at this time, but I totally <laughs> respect Mora Pierce for doing this with dragons, right? Because if anyone is going to have UG, it would be the dragons, correct? <laughs> I can I can accept okay. that. I could also accept some sort of limited uh, input within the womb. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, um, dragons are telepathic, so right. there is a possibility there that, right, Kitten was... Uh, absorbing language, I guess, before she was actually born. But Kitten yeah. can't do mind-to-mind stuff yet, right? I mean, uh, Dane can't talk to any babies. We know this because she initially can't talk to the puppies, and that mm-hmm. makes sense because babies don't know language. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but the fact that Kitten can't do telepathic language but can speak real language is, like, very interesting to me. Yeah. It's also kind of funny in terms of, like, also comparing it to human language development, because we know that, in fact, with human language, the actual straight-up movements of the mouth are part of what delays it. Mm-hmm. Um, and thus, you know, it's easier for babies to learn sign language earlier, which doesn't require as much small movement. But... The fact that in dragons it appears to be the opposite, and in fact all of those complicated movements of the vocal cords. Is is Kitten talking like a toddler? Like, is she, you know, I, I guess how developed are, like, her thought processes and stuff? Or, like, you know, if Dane could talk to her, would she be, like, you know, as, like, cognizant of her surroundings and stuff as, like, a kid? I mean, talk. She, she seems to be able to understand Dane pretty well. He understands yeah. lockpicking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I wonder. It's a weird asymmetry between, like, the way yeah. that Dane interacts with the rest and of... And it really, like, you know, if, if Kitten is actually fluent in a language, it really seems like Dane should make an effort to learn that language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can't be that hard. Okay. To keep us on track for this very, very short linguistics, I have another linguistics thing. Yeah. Which is, Dane is called Viraladine Sarastri. Sarastri is noted to be a matronymic. Like, it's from her mother's name, and that's kind of shameful because it means that she doesn't know who her father is, and she can't have a patronymic. No one else has patronymics! I mean, I assume this is a Gollum thing. Yeah, I think so. Is it? But it's also very well understood immediately yeah. when she's, like, I well, mean... Well, okay, <clears throat> like, one person knows about it. Well, but she also, like, avoids ever saying her last name because she's worried about people knowing about it. So, like, I mean, you could also say, like, okay, you know, country borders are somewhat arbitrary. Like, she's now back in what is... 
established to be a relatively like close place to her like to her home. It's close in geographic proximity and mm-hmm. quite possibly also culture. So it could just be that like this corner of the world. Yeah, no, I would I would buy that like or at least that it's a known thing in like north north eastern Tortal. Right. <laughs> Any more supercross linguistics? I actually have a, it's a kind of, it bridges fast linguistics and bio. Amazing. Perfect. We know that Ka can speak English, well, whatever, common. Um, and his voice is described as whispery, which made me presume that he doesn't have vocal cords. And my question for you, my good biologist friends, is do reptiles oh. have vocal cords? Like, can they make voice sounds? Yes, they can make voice sounds. I do know that because fun fact is that I have spent several months catching lizards and geckos and they do squeak. Hmm. (laughs) They do squeak if they get angry because you're holding them. Geckos can make vocalizations. They can have mating calls. Um, So geckos do vocalize. In which case he might have vocal cords. Maybe he's worried that he'll squeak if he uses them. And so he... Keeps it a whisper. <laughs> okay, I don't want to be the host in this, but this bio is getting less fast. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's skip this bio and move on to the next bio. Anyway, lizards can make sounds. I think we should try, uh, Kelly and I should try on three to say the worst bio in this, because I'm curious <laughs> what yours is, because I think I have one, but there are two two ones that are running up. Oh my god, yeah, I have, I have two. I have two bad ones. Okay. One... Two, three. People don't use 10% 10% of your brain. brains. Yes, thank you. I like that one too. I feel like I know things about bio. <laughs> I feel like this is like the ultimate bio myth that like is the equivalent of uh, like Inuit words for snow for linguistics. Mm-hmm. Like it just everyone knows it, and every biologist hates it. <sighs> I did. I did do a little quick Google just to confirm it's right, and I was reading like a popular science article, and it does confirm that. Yes, humans do utilize basically all of their brain, and also most of it even at the same time. Over a period of 24 hours, most of the regions of your brain will be active. So let us dispel this myth. 90% is not empty space to work <laughs> Dispelled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, runner-up for worst bio-witness for me was definitely the color vision. Um, so color vision, color blindness is not necessarily black and white. It's true. You might know this from literally any humans who are colorblind, <laughs> yeah. who are generally red green colorblind. Dogs very similar. Wolves very similar. Mine was super technical, which is Numera at the very beginning when Dane's talking about how she can be in an animal's brain. It's like, oh, you can be a magical symbiote, and she's like, what? And then he goes on to be like a science person, and it's like. A symbiote, so like not like a parasite, like you ride, a, like you have a relationship with another organism, and it's mutually beneficial. Symbiote is an umbrella term for a relation, a close relationship between two organisms, and includes parasitism as well as mutualism, which is both benefit and commensalism, which not necessarily both benefit, but there's not necessarily a negative impact either. So not quite correct there, Tamara Pierce. It also just seemed weird because like. You know, I don't know, she's not, like, living in close contact with these creatures as much as she's, like, communicating with them, right? Like, yeah. it's 
it's weird to say that she's becoming a symbiote. Yeah, I'm not even sure you can say she's like... just like wanted Numeria to use a fancy academic term so that she could establish that he was a fancy academic again. (laughs) Oh, but that actually gets to what I forgot about my 90% of the brains thing. Like, do they have neuroscience? (laughs) Why do they think they know how much? Like, okay, so like, I guess it's quite likely that because Tamara Pierce is not a bio person, clearly... She just doesn't know that's a myth. So there are two possibilities. One is that because she is the, you know, ruler of this world, um, <laughs> you actually do only use 10% of your brain to start <laughs> And they have somehow detected this, presumably through magic. That's, so that's one possibility. The other possibility, it's not true because this is basically our world. And they somehow stumbled on the same academic myth through their weird magic neuroscience. I mean, right, it is like, we know because Dane, like, sees Brokefang's brain. Like, we know that they they could potentially figure this out through, like, telepathy. But they did a bad job of it because they're wrong. Listen, it's difficult. <laughs> okay, well, this has been, this is, this has been pretty long, so... I'm in favor of everybody else's of heading on to some listener mail. Yeah, mm-hmm. sounds good. Okay, it is time for Palace Gossip. And first of all, first off, I have a note here that says Tumblr is confusing and we are sorry. Well, not just that we're confused by Tumblr, but also that Tumblr is a bad website with bad code. <laughs> and sometimes it just doesn't tell us if you said a thing. So, right, if we miss one of your messages, it's because Tumblr is a bad website and we're sorry, but we can't do anything about that. And the second one is... Please stop sending us spoilers. Or if you do, please send us an email and say that there are spoilers in our subject line. And spoilers is anything that Amy, who is reading the books along with this podcast for the first time, would not know. Yeah. So, right, I mean, it's not entirely, you know, we've gotten a bunch of people sending us, like, facts of, like, oh, this thing that you talked about, they address it in Becca Cooper. And that's, you know, like, not a bad kind of listener mail to get. Like, but the problem is that um, Amy has to deal with the social media sometimes and if they're full of spoilers then Amy gets spoiled. So if you want to send us that type of message do it, but do it in an email and mark it with the subject line spoilers. Thank you. So Abby, I know you said in particular that you wouldn't mind reading one of these questions. Do you want to read the one from um, the email? Okay, so we have an email from Ethan. Um, which is, this is part of a longer email, uh, which is all very good, but we're just reading a section of it. Ethan says, I'm actually finishing up Wolfspeaker, and I had some thoughts about the immortals slash gods slash etc. existing in another world. Uh, honestly, it's just like a pocket universe that kind of exists in science fiction novels. Example, Ender's Game universe from around that time. The idea is that there's another kind of space that exists outside of space-time, but also know about everything at once. It's just interesting how this idea of a godly realm is sort of like a time dilation pocket where they can come out of it and influence another realm as they pick and choose at any time in a quote-unquote chosen person's life. It's just an interesting thought I had about that kind of fantasy, quote, realm that seems to bridge over with science fiction. Um, Which I think is a very fun idea to play with. I'm, I'm always very into, like, ways that magic can be explained by science, and I think this is a fun example of that. Yeah, I also just love tropes that, like, are not science fiction or fantasy specific. Right, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it would be, I'm sure that we'll get more into this in future books. Um, I like, I, I'd i really like to know more about how uh, gods and immortals 
in the divine realms, like, experience, you know, time and space and stuff. But right, I think it, it does work really well as a science fiction, fiction trope that there's, like, this pocket universe next to the universe of Tortal, where these other beings are just living their lives. They just pop so, on over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the for thanks for the letter. Thank you. We actually had two people um, write into us about water. <laughs> um, the first one they were both on Tumblr actually. The first one was from Jehan, maybe Yehan. Sorry if I mispronounced it. The uh, poet. it's probably it's probably the character from Les Mis. Oh man, uh, <laughs> maybe you should read this. <laughs> I think. anyway it's from uh yeah jean the poet approximately you know the les mis character (laughs) thank you uh uh, and the letter is uh i loved how you guys talked about cold and salt water conducting magic uh bc i guess is because i guess as a kid (laughs) i knew salt water conducted electricity and just didn't question the cold i think maybe the idea was that the cold is invigorating so if you're tired it can help wake you up and focus your magic also, after doing some research on the internet, it looks like there's a, a not-substantiated theory that cold can make you physically stronger. Huh. Which is fun. I think that it could be, like, just a thing of, I don't know, like, triggering some, I don't know, I don't know biology, but, like, <laughs> y- you know, I do think, like, cold water does wake you up, so I could see that. Yeah, it might just get, you know, a stress response going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But right now, I, I definitely also assumed as a kid that it was, like, you get in the cold and that, like, perks your mind up and then you can do more magic good in <laughs> finland they think that like jumping into cold lakes in the winter time is like good for your health so maybe that's part of it well that kind of leads know. right to the next person's um tumblr mention of cold water which was from c dash l zero tt maybe or i zero tt um who said that maybe cold water is conductive to magic is more spiritual based than science based because it's a common trope to meditate under a waterfall or with freezing with freezing water. So I think that sort of ties into what you're saying about like it being good for like your health and your spirituality. That's interesting. I've never heard of that about meditation. But right, I think that there's more of like a blurred line there than these asks would suggest of like, you know, getting in cold water does have a physical effect on your body and that is probably also related to why people do it when they're meditating, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a definitely crossover between the sort of physical and spiritual effects that it would have. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's cool. Well, I think then we just have Aurora or Abby, somebody who's done this more than me. Do you mind doing the telling people where they can find us and stuff? So, right, you, we have a variety of social medias. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Tortal Recall, on Tumblr, TortalRecall.com. You can get in touch with, with us uh, at our email address, TortalRecall at gmail.com, uh, or on our website, TortalRecall.com. We're on iTunes and a variety of other podcast platforms, and you should leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't done that. That would be really nice. Um, also, I wanted to mention, probably not up as the, of the release of this episode, but hopefully will be around the time this episode is released, uh, that we are starting a Patreon. And that will be patreon.com slash Recall, I believe. And it's really, like, you know, we're, we're doing this completely for fun. 
and uh, you know we're not looking to like make a bunch of money off of it so really this is just if if you like us a lot and you want to you know say thanks you can do that with money if you have <laughs> if you have money not if you don't have money to spare um, but money. right currently <laughs> currently we are losing money on this podcast because we have to pay for hosting and stuff so if you wanted to help us break even on this podcast consider checking out the patreon um and we have some thank yous to thank uh we'd like to thank our music which is green sleeves by zeta and we would like to thank um a bunch of people who gave us some social media shout outs um uh, we got a review um, from the Night Suse book. Thank you. People to thank on Tumblr are That Random Fiend, Aphrodite Team, um, oh man, Jehan the Poet, I did it again, <laughs> C-A-Lot, uh, Ranger Danger with some X's in there where you might expect A's, um, Terror of the Seas, and Nightet. Some people, oh, special person to thank on Tumblr. We got our 500th follower yesterday, and that was Knit and Crit. So thank you, Knit and Crit. You won the prize. You're a 500th follower. Um, the prize is thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's it for us. Um, if somebody mm-hmm. wants to do the sign-off, is there anybody who hasn't done it yet? Abby, have you ever done it? Okay, I've never done it. Abby, you got to do it. <laughs> it sounds like it's your time. I've been staying quiet about it, but okay, fine. <laughs> See ya, tortellini. Yeah! <laughs> okay, perfect, good. Okay, small break. Tea sipping break. Slurp. Slurp.